Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, boy. I watched him collapse. We were we were just starting, and he just collapsed. Oh, imagine if that were, if you, like, I, I saw him die. I heard Manzoukas on was on, the guest on the episode. Yeah. <laughs> he really didn't want to talk to him, apparently. Oh, no. He, and yeah, he yeah. was saying beforehand how much he wanted to get out of that episode. <laughs> uh, well, we've started. Hi, this is the three questions. I'm talking to Jason Manzoukas. How are you, uh, Andy? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. You uh, you are in your closet. I'm in my closet where I've spent uh, conservatively, the, the I would say, the majority of the last year uh, <laughs> in this closet. Had I known that I was going to spend this much time inside of this closet, I would have changed things. I would have done things much differently. And what, if you weren't podcasting from your closet, would they, would it be so neat? It would be. I am a very um, cluttered person in that I've got a lot of stuff, but I'm yeah. very pretty. I'm pretty well organized and tidy. Yes, I keep yeah. stuff. It's easy. I also, to be fair, um, inside of um, quarantine, I only wear essentially the same handful of things. Yeah, me so too. it's not like this is getting disrupted that much. I, I'm like down. I wear. It's like the. I wear the same. Eight shirts, pants, and underwears yep. and socks, and I use the same, you know, probably eight dishes, bowls, spoons, and glasses, and so yeah. it's like that's been my whole year. See, I uh, I'm very much the same way. Although, like the socks, I think I've worn socks three times since oh, this wow. thing started, just because uh, you You're know one of those like, barefoot boys. No, no, I just I you know I wear like kind of like slippery shoes. See, but I wear I also wear. Like comfortable house shoes, I wear like um like a Bir a Birkenstock clog, uh huh. But I wear socks with it. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I wear socks you... with it. I don't like my bare feet, like just walking around, being around outside. I don't like it. I think you may be an NPR listener. I'm a I'm on record. Now, I'm on record <laughs> as both being an NPR listener and as being like a non foot person. Even my own feet, I'm like hard pass. But you know what? Hey, listen, people are out there. They're running around. They're loving those feet. So exactly. you know, more power to them. Let them do it. Let them do it. People, you know, there's probably a lot of stuff I'm into that would make people very upset. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm just looking around your house and I'm just yeah. seeing so much of the so much of the erotic art you have hanging on your wall. Erotic and, art. Yeah. And a lot of it seems to be you uh, paintings of yourself. You know what? I never noticed that, but they do all look a lot like. Do you me. commission these? Do you commission erotic well, I mean, portraits I, of yourself? I just, you know, I sort of describe what I want to, and it's all the same artist. It's my neighbor. Yeah, <laughs> I love the idea that your neighbor yeah. just like looks at you through your windows with like binoculars and mm -hmm. just paints portraits of you from your normal life, right? Using his own feces. That's the real thing. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah I forgot. Yeah. Your neighbor is, like, super cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so you are... Uh, I heard this from somebody that you've been home a lot. Like, this pandemic has really sealed you in. Yeah. Because... I have... Uh, I am... I shut it down. I shut it... Like, March, I think, 9th last year. Yeah. I, I was like... You know, I'd already been, like... like but I'll be honest. Pandemic is my like worst case scenario personally 
Like if if everybody has their, some people are like, I'm afraid the plane I'm in is going to go down. Yeah, or, yeah. So an, an irrational fear. Uh, I'm going to be in a terrorist attack or whatever. Yeah. Pandemic is mine. So I was clocking COVID-19 even like at the end of 2019 when it was kind of, you know, moving around in Europe and and in Asia. So I was like, oh, fuck. And then we did a, we did a, how did this get made live in Vancouver at the end of February last year that I was like, should we cancel this show? Yeah. Uh, but we went and just to travel internationally, like whatever it was, February 28th or something was sketchy. Yeah. Just to be in the airport, just to be in the customs line, like already an enormous amount of people were wearing masks. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is I made a mistake. I should be at the very least wearing a mask. Um, So I shut it down and have been pretty much with the exception of like running a few. Er like I basically leave the house once every couple of weeks to run a few errands. Wow. Otherwise, otherwise, that's it. You know, I go outside in my like in my back on my back porch. Yeah, but I don't like um, I'm not an I haven't been like hanging out in the backyard with somebody with people or, you know, we're all going to get together for a socially distanced, you know, like blah, blah, blah. No, yeah, I, haven't yeah. done, I haven't done any of that. Well, now, since this is sort of your uh, your, you know, your phobic sweet spot, yep. is there something about it? that you're enjoying? Like, is it's kind of like, is it like rewarding to you in some way? You know what I've, you know, I don't know if it's rewards. Like I would say in a very sad way, it's validating. Yeah. Because like all of the things that like, uh, in my mind, I, I like, I'm very much like, uh, I was ready for it. You know what I mean? Like I had stuff, I had stuff ready to go. I got stuff. I didn't have. I, I like, what does that mean? What does stuff mean? You know, like masks and gloves and disinfectants. And baby chicks. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. No, no, that's, I don't have that level of stuff. But I mean, like, I, I felt like, um, I didn't feel like a lot of people I know and friends of mine, I didn't feel like caught off guard. Yeah. You know, um, but I did feel, I do, I did and probably still do feel a much larger than normal people sense of dread and doom. Like, oh, I think really? there's a lot of people who are still have been able to see, see the light at the end of the tunnel, see the bright side, see, you know, like whatever. Um, I'm like a real doom and gloom person on this front. Now, I, to answer your question a little bit, like there has been kind of wonderful elements of it um, that is that are that I really am like uh, not exactly grateful for, but like there is a way in which. And this is this is I, this is really a, a funny and weird thing. There is a way in which being stuck at home, trapped in my house, which, by the way, I'm very lucky. I have a beautiful house. I can stay here and live, and it's lovely. I have outdoor space that's private. That's very lucky, and I am still able to, as we are doing now, or as I do with how did this get made, or I'm able to work from home to yeah. a to within a certain amount of what I do for work. So I, I, I it is a luxury that I have been able to like not leave my house in a year uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But by being home alone this whole time has been a lot like weirdly a second childhood almost where I feel stuck in my house. Like I can't go out. And so it's been a year of like consuming a tremendous amount of content. Oh, a lot of it, like stuff that like feels like, I'm watching TV and movies and reading comic books, also stuff that I did when I was a kid, yeah. you know? So there is a way that one of the positives has been, like, I feel very creatively inspired simply because I've been processing so much good stuff, you yeah. know, which which has been kind of lovely to be yeah. able to be like, oh, I'm going to watch or rewatch all of, you know, Deadwood or far, the Fargo uh, seasons. And, yeah, yeah. You know, or new stuff like Devs and Patriot and Lodge 49 or old stuff. Like I said, Deadwood or Sopranos or whatever. There is something quite nice about engaging with all of this stuff and, mm -hmm. and kind of not having to... Um, not having to obey or, or go along with all of the kind of what is normally a very busy life. For yeah. me, yeah. you know, whether it's like most of the year prior to this, I was on the road to some degree or another, either 
for work or touring the podcast or something like that. So there is a bit of, oh, as to juxtapose a very busy like uh year nomadic year to have like a like the exact opposite a deeply isolated alone year though very stark is kind of a weird has been interesting and kind of i don't know satisfying in some way but lonely i would think you know Uh, outrageously so i would say my greatest struggle in all of this genuinely is just psychologically loneliness you know um is just really not having touched another human being, you know, even for like a hug or to be, to be close to someone else, um, in a year is deeply unsettling, especially a year that's been very tumultuous, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Forget just the pandemic. It's like also, you know, the state's on fire and the oceans are boiling and, you know, the lead up to the election. Yeah. And and there's, you know, and there's racist, you know, burning things in the street and attacking the Capitol. Yeah. No, there's there's been a lot of like very emotional stuff, a lot of stuff that I would have wanted to process with someone or with people that I would have processed at dinners with friends or with my family or whatever. So you know, now I do all of that, you know, over Zoom with, yeah. you know, all those people, which, uh, again, like, great. You know, it, it's great that I can, you know, pop up and see all my family and my nieces and da 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 da. But there is definitely, it is not the same as being kind of soothed or comforted during tumultuous emotional upheaval yeah. by the presence of other people. You know, if that makes sense. Do you have any pets? I don't. I don't. Um, it makes I've, a huge difference. Huge, and I've I've really been, I've I've already now been like going to a specific rescue organization's um, adoption page like yeah. weekly now. So I feel like that is I'm putting energy into that. I feel like it's it's only a matter of time. Yeah, I have. Um, I got a dog. Well, I got a dog in August of 2019, and. Uh, I mean, I wanted, to, I, I like dogs and I wanted to get a dog, but it was also too, because being recently divorced, I wanted to just make it a little bit better for my kids, for my yeah. daughter specifically, like to have my, you know, I worked really hard to not have like a sad divorced dad apartment, sure, like, you course. know, like an apartment that's just like a couch and a TV and, you know, and socks laying yeah. around, you know, no, and like TV dinners. Yeah. So I got the dog, I mean, for myself too, because I wanted to have a pet, but with the pandemic here, and I mean, I still see my kids, so I have that, you know, yeah. and and I, and I now that I get to go to the Conan show somewhere, as opposed to just doing it at home, that was a huge difference. I bet. Um, but the dog is a huge thing because, no, you know. No, because it really is like, it gives you that intimacy. It gives yeah. you that connection. There's just some, another living thing there, yeah. you know, with you. So you're not alone. Yeah. And that's oh, no, absolutely. a huge and I think, thing. Yeah. I think that would be gigantic. And I, I actually have had a couple of friends offer to like loan me their dog. Just for to like, see it. For, yeah. for the day or, you for know, a whatever. Test drive. Like, yeah. Exactly. If you want or just to spend time. With their dog just to have time spent, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is very sweet. I do think there is likely a dog in my future. Good. Good. Because, okay, we can stop it the podcast. Is, it's going to be your a, dog. A dog it's, intervention. I'm stealing your dog. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm looking to get rid of this fucker. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Annoying. Oh, God. Yeah. I got this dog. I made a big show of it, so now I've got to keep it. <laughs> I can't just leave it somewhere because I'm on TV and someone will notice. And and, and I, can't, I, I can't fight it. Nobody <laughs> nobody does that. We can't do that. Yeah. Well, uh, now you, uh, you are, you're one of three kids, is that it? No, two. I've got a sister. I've got a, I've got a younger sister. Um, who still lives East Coast. I grew up in New England. I grew up uh-huh. in, like suburban Boston. Um, and she, li- she, you know, my whole family lives in that same in Boston, uh, in around Massachusetts, New Hampshire, yeah. Maine, you know, all New England. And um, and you were a drummer or still are a drummer, right? <laughs> I was. I was a drummer. I mean, I was like a, I studied drums. I was like a, in my mind, like I, I, was, I wanted to be a drummer. I was like in bands and in marching band and all that stuff. And I will say, during this pandemic year, I got 
an electronic drum set and have been playing drums a lot. Oh, really? Yeah, it's been like, that's another, again, like kind of weirdly, another throwback to feeling like I'm living a second childhood. Yeah. Which is, I just will go upstairs and play drums for an hour. Yeah, You know, yeah. and I bought all of the old, um, I repurchased all of the old, like books, exercise books and practice books that I that I learned on. Yeah. So that I could kind of get even I can still play drums fine. But right. like I was like, no, no, there is it's almost like when you learn a language and then you go to that country 20 years later and you're like, I understand what people are saying, but I no longer have the facility to speak it. Right. You know, and that's how I felt. I felt like my brain understood how to play drums, but my limbs were like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure I'm finding the right words. Yeah. So it's been fun to just kind of practice and, and play drums. And that's been kind of a blast, you know, yeah. and also a good like I feel like I construct my days in blocks, yeah. you know, exercise block. I got a Peloton. Great. Boom. Exercise block, you know, play drums. Boom. You know, whatever, you know, we're doing this now. Great. Okay. You know, everything is in like 60 to 90 minute blocks. Right. Is that something that you have a natural facility for? Or do you force that on yourself? I force it on myself because okay. I am to not, I, it's, I am like, otherwise my default is just amorphous mush. Yeah. You know, I'm just kind of like, you know, like kind of improvising my way through a day. Yeah. You know, so I have to really be proactive and be like, no, I'm going to do this and then this. Otherwise, I'll get nothing done. Yeah. See, I, that's I have the problem because if I have a structure imposed on me, I get a lot more done. Oh, like yeah. I and I and that's just kind of like the nature of me. You know, it's like the nature of. You know, as I've said, I've said many times, like, it's not a coincidence that I'm a talk show sidekick. Sure. It's like I'm good at. Well, what are you guys doing? Okay, I'll, let me pitch in. You know, let me do this. But like when I'm left to my own and, you know, hey, Andy, here's your day. Do whatever you want. I'm like, um, <laughs> get high and watch watch uh, old Phil Donahue clips. Yeah, you know, sure. Like, and that's like, no, no, that does not. That does not put brioche on the table. That is exactly what I would do. You yeah. Know? And, and that's what, frankly, in this last year, I've done, I've lost a lot of days to that. I've yeah. lost a lot of days to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get stoned and watch all the Harrison Ford movies from the 80s and 90s. <laughs> you know, or I'm going to, yeah. you know, like I've done like a lot of like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch all the Tony Scott movies that I like. Or I'm yeah. going to like, I'll go through a director or, or go through a TV show or or just like what you said, go down a YouTube wormhole. Yeah. Of, I'm going to watch every Joni Mitchell performance on talk shows. The yeah. Dick Cavett show, this show and that show. Like, I'll just, like, get it all. I want to watch everything, you know, yeah. uh, which I love. I love I love that, you know, and then you look up and three hours have disappeared. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Can't you tell my love's a growing? And it's and it does it does get hard when you have kids and you're kind of like, you know, you really do need to get a structure to your life and yeah. you need to like keep up with your work because and then here I am like 
you know, pile of emails unanswered and yeah. like, you know, and the, and especially now, you know, the Conan show on TBS is winding down and yep. I mean, truly nobody knows what's going to happen. So it's like really after, you know, 10 years of employment as of June, I'm out of a job. I, it's what it seems like. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'm, you know, like everybody, all the, all of team Richter is like, you should got it. You should develop something. I'm yeah, I'm going to do that. But it's that thing where it's like, that is not, and that's not a muscle you've been exercising. It's not at all. You know, at, maybe at, a one time it was. And I wonder too, like for, cause we come out of similar backgrounds in terms of, you know, when we wanted to do comedy, we didn't go out and do stand up, or at least no, I don't think you did. I did you know, not. Like, you know, our, our thing wasn't, I should be the only person on stage Mm-mm. and it should all be about me. We yeah. both sought out uh, ensemble based comedy, support yes. group based comedy where it's not just me. I'm here making you look good. Theoretically, you're helping me look good. And it's not all about like, I have to do every piece of this, yes. you know? Um, it, and that's what's that's what in many ways kind of what you're describing, you know, to be a, a sidekick or to be a, an improviser, to be somebody who is good in the ensemble is not necessarily the person who's like driving the bus, yes. you know? No, it's um, it, it definitely uh, it, it it suited me very well because I I uh, I was in film school. I was in Chicago. There's improv in Chicago. If there, you know, if there hadn't, if I'd been in, I don't know, Milwaukee, or if I'd been in L.A., I don't know that I'd ever would have done improv. Oh, that's interesting. So you, you're, you hadn't gone to Chicago. No, I grew up there. To. You grew up there and went to I film school there. Grew up and there. I went to I film school and I started working as a production assistant on television commercials. Huh. And then, you know, progressed in the in a freelance film production career on, on commercials. And I was doing props. I kind of ended up in props like my, yeah. and, uh, but then I and started nowhere doing shows. in this. So at that point you must be in your early twenties. Yeah. And then nowhere, are, are you like a, somebody who like you, do you go to second city as a fan or are you like engaged in that world as a, like, are, are you turned on to that at all? Or is it like really an epiphany? Like you find it, you see it and you're like that. I what happened was uh, is I was in film school. I had film school friends, funny friends. We'd shoot videos. I would I was doing film acting in film school because one component of film school is that nobody that wants to make short films in film school knows any actors. Sure. And if you're in one film and you you can remember lines, people come to you and say, yeah. "I'm doing a film," and which it's really good experience, but ultimately. You know, I found that like a lot of weekends I was spending, you know, 12 hours at a forest preserve with somebody that didn't know what they were doing, of course. you know, yeah. and, and that would, that got kind of frustrating, but a friend of mine started working at Improv Olympic at, at yeah. uh, with Charna Helton and Del Close. Is Del there at that point? Yeah. He is. He is. Like yep. I took classes with Del yep. and, um, and she was doing this and I thought, Hey, you know, I went and saw her and some stuff and I was like. Oh, this is good. And the real key for me, because, you know, I, you know, like in film school, I, I had a, a focus in screenwriting, but I'm a terrible writer. Not in like, I, I, I can write things, but sitting down to a blank page is ADD kryptonite, you know, like I just, I had trouble with it. So what was really important to me was the compromise of performing and writing and the immediacy of it. I couldn't think about it. I had yep. to do it. And, and so I didn't have, I, I didn't have a chance to second guess myself. I didn't have a chance to write a line and go, Oh, that's stupid. And go back. I just was on stage with other funny people, which I mm-hmm. loved doing that. Like performing in show business is kind of secondary to getting to live when be with showbiz people. Uh-huh. You sure. know, I get like I go to the Conan show and I'm with literally like some of the funniest people on earth. Oh, my God. Those those writers, those producers, you know, f- since the beginning, you know, like have been some of the greatest. Yeah. Uh, and continue to be some of the greatest comedic minds. You know, yep. it was just as like a, you know, my early New, New York UCB comedy days. 
you know, there was a a fair amount of my, I think the first time I was ever on television, I believe was uh, in a sketch on uh, the Conan show, uh-huh. um, the late night show. And, and then was on subsequently a number of sketches, yeah. but there was like such an incredible thing to just be when you were in a sketch, you got to be there all day yeah, and you got to watch the rehearsals of the other p- sketches, the other things, the notes on those sketches, yeah. how a sketch would go, you know, it would go up. You go to hear people get notes and see what was happening. And then they'd mount it again a half an hour later with changes. And that was like super informative to like me, who at that point was just doing like Harold Night at UCB, was very kind of at the very beginning of doing shows and being a part of a group and all that stuff. It was fucking cool, you know, yeah. and and super um, educational, I'll say. it. Yeah. And, uh, and also, too, for a lot of us... Um, we were learning as we went, you know, like we, Mm -hmm. they, I mean, Conan had done SNL and Conan had done the Simpsons and Robert Smigel had done SNL and Robert Smigel had done the Simpsons. And that was it. Yeah. All of that was just, we had to make that up going out and doing remotes, you know, like Robert's, I would did the first remotes and Robert's like, would you go do this at this event? And it's like, and all of a sudden here's me from improv class out at like the Miss America pageant making comedy for TV and being like, I don't have any fucking clue. I don't, That's you know, amazing. I'm, just, I'm just doing it. So yeah. Well, we should, okay, let's talk about you. You know, my guest today, Andy Richter, <laughs> one of the greats. No boy. One I've of got, the, one as of you the know, I've got, I've got five questions for him. You guys are fans now, of the wait. pod. <laughs> you studied religion. <laughs> I did. You're a drumming religion guy. <laughs> Like, and, you know, with a beard. Oh, my God, I can smell the patchouli from here. Oh, my beard is bigger than it's ever been, I think, right now. (laughs) Now, tell me about that. You went to school and you studied religion, correct? I did. I did. I mean, you know, this is now, you know, uh, so long ago. But, but yeah, I went to, like, a just a kind of traditional liberal arts college. I went to Middlebury College in Vermont. When was this? What what year? This is, uh, I graduated in 95. Okay. So this is, I was, you know, I, I, I went in in 91. So yep. um, right around, so in that, mid, like early 90s, I spent in college, you know, the, the Nirvana Smashing Pumpkins years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's like, it was, so it was a, I was a com, like a comparative religion department. It was not like a theological school or anything like that. Right. I didn't study religion thinking I was going to be a priest or anything like that. I studied religion in the sense that I, I studied all of the world's religions and that's kind of what it was about. And it was, I found it, the, it was very interesting and I, I really was, I found it very compelling. Um, and it just so happened that my school had a very good department. Mm-hmm. So the classes were great. It didn't come from like a personal passion or, or anything like that. I just kind of kept liking the classes and liking the professors. Mm-hmm. So kept doing more. If I'm being honest with myself, like at a certain point, I had more credits in that department, so I was like, I might as well major in this. Oh, okay. Because what I really spent, I would say, the majority of my time doing was the comedy group that I was in and the radio station that I ran. Oh, okay. Those were the two. If I could have majored in the comedy group or the radio station, absolutely I would have. But I see. You know, it was, and and the things that were close to that, like, there was no communications department at Middlebury, and the theater department at the time was okay, but not not a great enough that I wanted to like dig myself into that, you know? Right. So right now, right now there's somebody, a Middlebury grad from that time, a theater. Oh, was like, fuck you. Oh yeah. I'm going to tell those professors yeah. that you slagged them you off. Said that. When I get off work from, cause Starbucks, it's a British person. Um, <laughs> who says slag them, <laughs> slagged off. them off. Um, well that, so, so you knew you were kind of like in your head, what are you going to do with yourself? I mean, are you, th- you know, I mean, what do you, in think- my mind, I was either going to be a drummer or a comedian, uh-huh. you know, like at that point I was playing in bands, but I was also in an improv group, right. you know, um, you know, and at, at the, in, when, while I was in college, when I arrived, there was a short form group, um, that was like a, you know, t- traditional improv short form games, mm-hmm. um, and then it was during my period there, uh, one of one of our uh, Rodney Rothman. Do you know Rodney Rothman? I know the name, and I he was a Letterman writer, um, and he 
He was one of the writer and directors of Into the Spider-Verse a couple of years ago. He's like oh, a, okay. you you I'm certain you've met him along Probably. the way. Yeah, yeah. Um he was he I went to college with him. Uh he was in the same comedy group with me along with Jessica St. Clair um oh. and some other folks and um he during one summer got a hold of Truth in Comedy. Uh-huh. Uh, the book, uh, it's Sharna's book. Yeah. book. Sharna um, Helpern from Improv Olympic. Exactly, who you mentioned earlier when you were monopolizing this interview with your uh, with your background and how you came up in comedy. Jeez. Look, you asked me, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he brought back that book, and that book had a description of long form, obviously, long form improv, and specifically the Herald. Yeah. So a group of us from our larger improv group splintered off and started... A, a second group, which was a Harold team, doing Harold's to the book. We'd never seen it done before. Yeah, yeah. But we did it because it was described in the book. So, yeah. But it was like when I think about it now, I get like so uncomfortable because we would perform in instead of in like the big assembly hall where we did our short form shows that could fit a couple of hundred people. We would do Harold's in the coffee shop, which was a cool small setting. Yeah, yeah. The show would be like an hour the and we would strictly adhere to what they outlined in the book. So the pattern game, the yeah. opening was a pattern game, which is a free associative kind of uh, improv uh, formatted kind of way to get out a bunch of information quickly. So it's yeah, but and we it's did most it, frequently used as a warm up. Yes. Yeah. But we did it as like we did it for probably 10 to 15 minutes of like breakfast, pancakes. Captain Crunch, like yeah. at this pace. I think about those audiences and I'm like, they must have been miserable. It was, we were terrible. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it was electric. It was so exciting. Um, I loved it. I loved, I loved improvising. I found very much that the, I found it very much scratched the same itch that I got performing in bands, but I liked being on stage with, uh, in an ensemble of comedians better because there was no perceived hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You know, we were all in it together There's rather no than, man. yeah, yeah, rather than there being like exactly songwriters or front men or, and I'm just in the rhythm section or anything like that. There really was like improvising felt like being in a jazz band or something. It felt like we're all feeding off of each other. We're all kind of riffing and, and in such an, imp- such an important part of, um, improvising on stage, both whether you're playing music or doing comedy, is about listening. Mm-hmm. And those were already kind of skills that I'd built up a little bit. So I felt like a little bit, like uh, I had a little bit of like a history there. So mm-hmm. it was it was very easy for me to get into improvising comedically. And I and I was and still am like obsessed with it. You know, like I still do in, in normal times. You know, here in L.A., I still do like two to three shows a week at UCB, you know? Wow. That's really, uh, that's something, it's it's admirable to me because uh, doing just straight up long form improv, it's stressful. And like, I don't, I don't leave the house to go get stressed out. I leave the house to go have fun. Yeah. And it is fun. But it's but, like, but if you're out of the it is I I I always liken it to it's a muscle that you have to keep exercising yes, absolutely otherwise it's the equivalent of if I right now was like you know what I'm gonna go do I'm gonna go play a full soccer game yeah like I would 100 percent be injured in 10 minutes absolutely I haven't played soccer in years you know um I used to be good at it I used to feel very comfortable playing soccer but not anymore Mm-mm. so yeah. to me it's the same thing the part of the reason I love doing love improvising so much is I've been doing it consistently nonstop. Yeah. You know, this is the longest this year is the longest I've ever gone, not getting on stage and improvising. And in many regards, I've been improvising with some version of the same, like 30 people for years, you know, Mm -hmm. like my, the, the, my Harold group that existed in New York existed for nine years the group that I've been doing a show with here for 10 years is pretty much the same group of people. Like there's like the people that I did ask at with those casts, there's so much overlap. So I'm also like, it's also like hanging out with my friends. Yeah. You know, it's almost like the equivalent of people who have like a regular card game or something, yeah. except yep. ours is like, we do a show uh-huh. on stage and then we go have dinner and catch up. And it's yeah. like quite lovely. See, I, I also just kind of, even in the early days, 
I like the hanging out part way better than the doing shows part. And so like funny. I said, you know, I, and today, you know, I go, we go to Largo and we do a show and, the sh- you know, doing the show now is like, it's so weird and so kind of short and truncated. And then there's only so much we can do. Sure. Uh, you know, a lot of like, well, I, we've got a new sponsor who answers that question. And then there's like a tape that we can't see. Sure. You know, and but the fun part is the fucking around. And there's yeah. so many times the bits. when we're just sitting bits. around. Yeah. And just like Conan being mean to people, mm-hmm. like just being, and but in a fun, you know, like in a funny yeah. way, like he plays like his off screen persona bit character that he's been doing for years is the genius surrounded by incompetence. Sure. You know, and so it's, you know, like a Mr. Burns kind of almost without the voice. (laughs) And he's so fucking funny doing it. And he's so observant and so quick and like, remember, you know, like something that happened 10 years ago, he'll remember it and bring it up and it'll be like, oh, man. But that's also like testament to the fact that like your show is also a show that has had people that have been around 10, 15, 20 years. Like, it's not like. Your show has a tremendous amount. I mean, there's there's certainly turnover, but there's something kind of lovely about how consistent the voice of the show is, both because it's Conan, but also because you're there, because Sweeney's there, because so many people who have been there for so long are still there. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, there's people, there's people who have like kids out of college who have only worked for Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Like that was their first job in television and that's where they've worked the entire time. And that's that's, that's not, rare. Yeah, that's it's very, very rare. rare. It's very rare. And it's it's very nice. And there's there's people on that show that feel like family to me, you know, like literally like cousins or, yes. you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you really have you've spent all look at this uh, like this won't really exist anymore. Yeah. Really. Things like this. Like, yes. I don't think, you know, I don't think the and no, and this is no shade to the current crop of. Uh, talk show hosts, but I don't think Jimmy Kimmel is going to want to be around in another 15 <laughs> years doing his show. You yeah, know, yeah. I think he wants to be doing other stuff in a way that I think is, you know, like, I think, I don't know that like a career in late night talk shows, having the kind of longevity that you guys have had is in the cards anymore. No, I don't think you so know? either. I, I don't even know if late night talk shows are in the cards much yeah. longer, you know? Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah, you're right because well, everything's changing. That's like a whole different like like head sp- head spinning conversation of yeah. like what's TV going to be? And you know, I well, mean, when because- you free it from the from time, yeah. right? Because your show, all these shows were Colbert, Kimmel, Fallon, Seth, all of these these are the last shows. And then you could say the Today Show, Good Morning America. These are the last shows that are tethered to time, to the times that they're on, right? Yes. Everything yes. else just exists freestyle. Yep. You know, like, but they, with the exception of sports, I guess. That you know, like, when, if you want to watch the game, you got to watch it when it's on. You can't just because right. otherwise you're gonna find out who, well, whatever. You're gonna get spoiled. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, for sports, but you know, I don't. I'm not a sports person, so that doesn't impact me. But those two polls. The morning shows and those late night shows are the only things that are still really tethered to a time that they come on and feeling like I got to watch that. It's at the end of the day and people have their people have their hosts that they feel, you know, is their favorite or speaks for them or gets their point of view or their sense of humor or whatever. I think all that goes away. I think I don't think my you know, I don't think your kid I was going to say my nieces, but your kids to that age. I don't think any of them give any shits oh, about they don't. that they about don't those those kind of shows that happen at the end of the day as a way to wrap up the day's events. They They're processing don't. the day all day long on the phone. And yeah, and and there it is. It's already happening. Like yeah. it doesn't people aren't you know, what's what's a really good rating for Colbert or Fallon or Kimmel now is an awful rating for from 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 years ago, if you're getting the rating that they're getting now, it would be like, oh my God, what are you doing on the air? <laughs> yeah. Uh, because there's just not many people doing that anymore. Oh, no. They don't, and, and I mean, and I don't, I don't watch them, but then again, that's for me, it's different for me because I, it's. But the weird thing is, if anything, people like us should be, like older people 
should be the people that are like, yeah. of course I still watch, you yeah, know, yeah. Colbert. Of course I still watch The Tonight Show yeah. or whatever is your show. Of course, that's how, you know, like somebody laughed at me recently because I told them I, I have cable. And they were like, wait, know, you actually still pay for cable? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. Has thi- have things tipped now so hard that to still have cable is preposterous? And the answer was yes. It is perceived of as something only for old people. Well, sorry. I know. <laughs> I oh, mean, we're, it's like, it's over. no. I that still, ship has sailed. And I still watch TV and it kind of bugs my kids. I put on the TV and then I and put flip. on the guide and flip around and see what's on. And that's... I, I, and, you know, and you discover great stuff. Yeah. Or just whatever. Honestly, there's, there is still, and it still matters to me, It someone else is playing that somewhere. Yes. I am making a connection to someone in real time. Like yep. whether it's just somebody put on a, you know, pl- pushed a button on a computer that made, you know, House there's, Hunters yes. International play at this particular moment. But this is happening right now. Well, if yes, to speak to that exact point, it feels like you are living present tense. Yes. You know, like I'm discovering this other thing that's happening right now as well. We both, me and this show, are living in at this moment in time. Not like me calling up anything I want to watch because I can. That seems yeah. like a closed circuit, you know? Yeah. It's just me deciding right now I want to watch Letter Kenny on Hulu or... Yeah. Whatever, you know, so I'm going to watch it and I'm going to love every episode because it's absolutely genius and hilarious. But there is something wonderful about flipping through channels and catching on Nat Geo some show about a guy who's like, you know, I'm going to using only primitive tools. I'm going to survive in the pre-Saharan desert for Mm -hmm. a week. And I'm like, yeah, I want to watch this. Yeah, I wouldn't have have known this, but let me see. Yeah. Or like, you know, the giant monster fish that that roamed early, you know, prehistoric waters. Like, okay. Oh, this you is know. just dad. This is just dad TV. Oh, it's talk. all dad stuff. Dad yeah. TV talk. You yeah. you with your ancient monsters and me with my survival <laughs> shows. My daughter, my daughter insult, she's like, she there was oh, she was talking about it was some like kind of domestic drama movie, you know, like some sort of you know, poignant family story that touched on truths. And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, well, I'm sorry that it isn't Braveheart 2. And oh I'm my like, God. What? what is that? And she's like, she goes, that's all you watch is stuff like that. And I'm like, that is, that is not true. It is not true. But Braveheart 2 is a great pitch. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a growing? But I, I'm the same way with radio. I flip through. I listen to MSNBC. I listen to Howard. I listen yeah. to... One of my favorites on SiriusXM is the old-timey radio shows. Sure. Like, I love listening to these old radio mysteries, you know, with the old commercials. It's like, talk about old man shit. This, I, I was Jesus just going to say, this just yeah, went yeah. to a whole other yeah, level. Yeah. You know what I love? I love the old radio dramas where you can really hear the Foley work. I mean, no, like, this honestly, is very I just, sad. I just like, to me, it's like, a, it's a, it, I like stories. Like, I like if I got to drive at night and it's like, I I don't want to listen to yeah. a whole audio. You want to book, turn but... on the radio and have it be like, woo, 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 woo. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's enough, like... Lorraine. I've had enough from you. <laughs> Precisely. What are you doing with that gun? Oh no! I Pow. love that shit. I love that <laughs> shit because, and also too, I just love like there's things like, like whenever I've noticed in them, like whenever anybody says like, you know, you know, Wilbur, I want a divorce, like. <laughs> That woman's going to die like that. Like <laughs> once you say like, I want a divorce or Wilbur's going to die like yeah. one or the other of them. 
you can't mention divorce on an no. old timey radio show. You, divorce without, yeah. in the olden days is not allowed. Was, was somebody, somebody, or both have to die. Yeah, they have to be punished murdered. for that transgression. I actually had an idea. I had an idea for a movie script that was set, and it was like a, it was a bigger than just this, but it just happened to be set in like the old time radio world. Yeah. And I told it to my agent, and he's like, "I don't think anybody wants to see that." <laughs> like, okay. It's so Thank true. You. Thank you that for the honesty. That is so true. Yeah. Because, well, it's like, it's like Westerns. Nobody wants to see Westerns. There's fucking great Westerns that get made and no one sees Nobody's them. interested in Westerns. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, well, to be fair, like, I think, to be fair, um, I think our version of Westerns now is superhero movies. Yes. You know, like superhero movies are for all intents and purposes because Westerns in that, for the previous generation, f- from the... TV westerns like Rawhide and Bonanza, the pulpy kind of westerns, to like the you know John Ford, yeah. you know, uh, you know, incredible, beautiful, you know, yeah. s- like tr- like tremendous cinema. Uh, John Huston, John Ford, like those westerns, Nicholas Ray, and then you get into like the Sergio Leone. There's so many different versions of westerns, yep. all the spaghetti westerns, all that stuff. That's kind of, you know, this is maybe going to sound ridiculous, but that's kind of what's happening now with superhero movies. No, absolutely. It's they're formulaic escapes. You know, it's the same thing. Like, I love samurai movies and I like and it's they're all the same sort of elements. You know, it's like Mexican food. There's about eight things and you mix them up in different ways and you get 12 different dishes. You know, I mean, it's. Yeah. And and I and there's something satisfying about that on a very like biological level we obviously like that yes. we like coming back to slightly different versions of something we've seen before well there's you know? also like i mean i i i think there's also a finite number of stories and how we tell them is what's interesting yes you know and so and and i think the same thing with songs yeah you know it's not that i think that um some it's it's that like there you know like Everybody does uh, does a love song. I just happen to love the love songs from the artists I love the most because yes. they speak to me. But yeah. that doesn't mean all those other bands and love songs. Like people who like the Eagles, a band that I legitimately despise. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, great. I like that yeah. you like the Eagles because they resonate with you. They they do not with me. Yeah, but that's fine. And that's yeah. kind of what it is. I think is everybody kind of has a different in. I think everybody's taking inspiration from the same kinds of stories and then putting them out into the world. And everybody, we especially live now in a world where so much stuff is being pushed at us, like an overwhelming amount of content between music and TV and film. And like, you know, and then also not to mention social media and like stuff that is now on our screens, whether it's TikTok or Snapchat or in the past Vine or things, small platforms that were also places where creative people could kind of put stuff up that was whatever, funny, informative, whatever version of it. There now people are able to curate a playlist of all of these elements that hits their sweet spot. Yeah. You know, there is no longer or very little is there every single person watched MASH last night. Yeah. You know, or whatever, you know, yeah. whatever. It's, or like Happy Days. Sure. It's the number one show on TV. Try and watch a fucking Happy Days. Oh, my God. And oh when you think about the God. fact that, like, you know, at, on a weekly basis, like 50 million people watched Happy Days every yeah. week. Compared to, like, an episode of Parks and Rec that, or, you know, or, or 30 Rock where they got, like, a million people yeah. to watch it. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, and that that is such a wide gap. Yeah. You know, uh, we're just in an environment now where it, it's like so the audiences for everything are so small so that when something does break through, like a Game of Thrones or something that feels like it has some stab at creating a monocultural experience that everybody is like around the water cooler kind of talking about it. Those are now what used to be very ordinary parts of our week kind of sharing our thoughts about the show we all watch has now turned into like, we're, we're all watching different. Everybody's trying to, instead of everybody being like, did you see blank last night? Everybody's trying to turn each other on to the shows they like. Yeah. That they assume nobody else knows about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you, what do you want to do with the rest of your career? 
You know, I want to keep running this podcast. I want to keep, you know, I've got, I've got, I feel like I've got another couple of years doing this show. Right. Figure. Yeah. Which is all just getting people to know me. Yes. Yeah. Do you, it's like, it's, do you know, Andy? Uh, How well do you know, Andy? Um, You know, I'll say like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with my career with the, with the exception that this year was a real step back. This one doesn't, this year just um, is a fucking wild card that throws everything off. Yeah, exactly. But, like, I feel really, uh, really, but, like, even to that point, like, even inside of a year in which I have not set foot on a set of any kind, I haven't worked on camera in any way, I've still been able to do, like, a tremendous amount of work, whether mm-hmm. it is animation voiceover that I've been able to do from home or whether it is the podcast my, you know, the How Did This Get Made podcast that I host with Paul uh, Shear and June Diane Rayfield, or mm-hmm. being a guest on your podcast or other people's podcasts. That's in and of it. It's not like this is a career. I don't make money off of this, but there is certainly something very satisfying about participating in these conversations that I enjoy, you yeah. know, and that I see as part of work, I guess, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and the fact that podcasts, you know, my podcast has now been around for 10 years. That wow. podcasts have inside of that time gone from like, you know, when we started our podcast, I gave it the same weight that I give a show at UCB, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, oh, we're going to do this show. It's going to be fun. I'm going to talk to Paul and June and someone else. And it's going to be a blast. You've been on it. It's it's a chat amongst friends. You know, right. maybe we do it live at Largo or someplace else, or maybe it's just in the studio with us. It's great fun to now just, you know, we did a a live stream of our podcast over the course of the pandemic and sold something like 10,000 tickets. Wow. Which blew my mind. I was like, oh, this podcast now reach a level of uh, audience that is wild and incredible. And so, so that's really a huge component of like what I really like about my career is that like, I get to do the podcast and reach people that way. I get to get up on stage and do improv and uh, improv shows and exercise that muscle. I'm still I still write uh, and sell scripts and develop stuff that sometimes gets made and sometimes doesn't. Under normal circumstances, I still get to, I get to perform on some of the shows that you know that I absolutely love. Many of which mm-hmm. I was a fan of before I even got a, an opportunity to be on them. Um, so I think a lot of it is keep moving that ball down the court or whatever. Yeah. I want to, I want to keep, you know, like I like my career has been all about, I feel like incremental progress. Mm-hmm. I'm not like trying to dunk, yeah. you know, I'm just trying to, and keep, that was never like, you didn't think you didn't set it. And I don't no. mean, I, I don't mean, but you didn't set out thinking like, I'm going to be on SNL and then I'm oh, going to be the star. I did of think movies. that. I did think that when I moved to New York, I was very arrogant in this, yeah. in the sense that I was like, oh, I'm going to be on SNL in like three years. Yeah. And that was not the case, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I, I never saw you on there. No, you never. Yeah. No, never. Uh, I couldn't know the two shows I wanted to be on very deeply, like from childhood SNL, you yeah. know, just because it, it was so much of my first exposure to sketch comedy and yep. you know and and especially during years when those casts were strong yeah you know? and if you're a particular kind of person with comedy ambitions and they are of a, that of a particular kind that's the place to go oh, you know absolutely because they're you know kids in the hall isn't hiring you know exactly yeah, yeah there are very few and when when i was growing up there wasn't mad tv there wasn't yeah. in living color there weren't other sketch shows that had a revolving cast i mean yeah. fridays there was fridays but it was short lived yeah, yeah you know um but so really snl felt like both uh, a a comedy institution but also like a continuing concern yeah. it wasn't like um it felt like it was it was something meaningful from the past but also still relevant at the present tense right and then also when I moved to New York and was coming up, happened to coincide with the rise of The Daily Show um, yeah. with Jon Stewart taking over The Daily Show and that and turning that into an incredibly relevant show. And the I really was I really was gunning for one of those kind of correspondent roles yeah. uh, on that. But couldn't I could never get really any traction with either show, frankly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I came in really hot and arrogant thinking that's my, that's how I'm going to get this. Um, but very quickly was d- 
disavowed of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then it just became the work of, you know, uh, genuinely, I feel very lucky. Like, I started UCB at the beginning, so had years in which I just was able to get better, do shows, write shows, put up shows, like that kind of Malcolm Gladwellian 10,000 hours because the UCB scene was so kind of in its nascency, we were able to kind of get stage time. We were able to like just do shows, tear them down, put a better version of it back up without without people really looking. Yeah. You know, it was years before agents or managers ever came and saw us. It was, yeah. we, were, we were just running around for years, you know? Just making shows. Just making yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah. And that was very, I feel very lucky that we got that time, mm-hmm. you know, because I think we got to do stuff and get better while no one was looking versus now, I think, you know, there's just such a sense of immediacy, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know that that people coming up in these scenes get a chance to be bad for a yeah. while yeah. and get better without people looking or without now people are putting everything they do online and everything then lives forever. And it's like yeah, there's a period in which, like, you have to get better. You have to yeah. like, you know, and that I you know, that is what I feel like those years are the years that I feel very nostalgically for. Mm-hmm. The years where we were just doing bad shows and then going to the bar afterwards and being like, why did that not work? Yeah. You know, why does this show, like we did a show, Besser directed me and a bunch of other people of my generation in a show. The show was meant to be a, so in Chicago, they had done the movie form, you know, which was an improvised movie. Yeah. So um, you improvise both the plots and the characters of an archetypal kind of rom-com or action movie. Right. Um, But then you also have all the lexicon of like, we fade in and you do the filmic language as improvisers on stage. So he wanted to do a similar thing in New York where we were doing, but it was all animated like Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. So he wanted to do like an improvised cartoon show. So it was poppy, bright colors and crazy. And it never worked. We like, we were, it was very hard. We couldn't crack it. Yeah. And we just, we would go up every week and just eat shit. Um, And what was, but I recognize it now as like one of like the most influential years of my comedic growth, both because it was such a hard show to figure out and how hard we worked to try and figure it out. Right. Like how, how comfortable we got at failing was so important, but also like how we would continue to kind of try and fix it and come at it from this. And what if we just, uh, what if we just redid it this way or, or looked at it through this lens or what if it had a macro structure that we could kind of keep coming back to like all of that stuff. We never wound up with a functional show, but the process of doing it made us all way better improvisers, way better, you know? And you also then learn the lesson of uh, quitting. Like, yeah. like, get, like, okay, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. You know, yeah. there's just something in here that is kind of, like, impossible to kind of land. Yeah. Um, which is fine because there's, there's there are, like, that's the, the nature of an improvised show, I feel like, is sometimes the idea is unexecutable, but is itself compelling. Yes. You know, the show was, we were funny. We were yeah. funny people being funny on stage, but, like, the... But the movie format, the thing we were kind of always chasing, was so satisfying to watch as an audience. Yeah. It was yeah. a it was an incredibly powerful and satisfying form. Right. Uh, and we were always chasing that, that level that at the end of the show, people wouldn't be just like, oh, that was funny. But they would be like, wow, that was cool. Yeah. You know, it felt like a complete thing. And we saw it. Yes. It, we saw its birth and. Yes. You know, it's existence. Yeah. Yeah. We saw them build something out of nothing and like yeah. it became like a magic trick yeah. versus I think we always ended up with pretty funny show that was maybe not quite as as great as it could have been. Yeah. But but the process of doing it really the process of doing it and failing at it really made us all very good improvisers, which yeah. I think is something that I don't know that is I don't know that people are allowed to do as much anymore, which is get up and fail a bunch. Yeah. You know, um, that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that we got to do a lot of in like the early days, uh, when I was coming up. Yeah. Well, um, 
is there is there anything like is there any kind of ongoing disappointments you know like things that you wish you'd done differently or done better or like you know it's it's interesting um i think i've i think i'm of the opinion that i think because of because i'm pretty pleased with where i am i have to acknowledge that my failures were part of it mm-hmm you know, like there are certain projects, like pilots that I wrote that didn't get produced. I was at the time devastated, yeah. you know, because it would have been a really a game changing move in my career at that point, Absolutely. which was I wasn't acting at all. I was like a medium successful writer. Like I was so I I'd sold scripts. I developed a couple pilots like I was at the beginning of a writer's career. Mm-hmm. And had that show gone, I think it really would have triggered a level of success or a potential level of success that would have been transformational for me in that moment, like 2009, 2010 type of time. Um, but had it been successful, I suspect I would not have become an actor, really. I would not have been available to be on The League or Enlightened or those first couple of shows that really kind of put me into the world as an actor where people then started to see those shows and be like, Oh, I want to use you on modern family. Or I, I want to use, I, can you want, I, I like you on that thing. All yeah. of those things, I likely wouldn't have been given those opportunities because I would have been doing my other things. So I really like my career. So even the mistakes or the, the things that I look back on now and I'm like, Oh, should I have moved to LA earlier? Or like all the kind of things that could have gone differently I kind of am like, no, I, I, I'm comfortable with them. I, even even the disappointments, even the, the heartbreaks, the missed opportunities, the, the, the things that I poured, you know, blood, sweat and tears and years of time into developing pilots and shooting pilots and writing scripts that don't get made and all that stuff. All that stuff is devastating. Uh, but all of it kind of was necessary to get me here. And and I kind of like being here. So. So I, I don't mind it. I'm, I don't look back. I don't really have regrets or I don't look back feeling like, oh, if only this or, oh, if I'd only gotten that. I wish I'd gotten that part in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 if, if I should have gotten that part in the office or 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 whatever. All the things I auditioned for and didn't get, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. like, but I, it's not that's not that wasn't what was happening, you know. Yeah. So I and I'm very grateful for the fact that inside of those failures or missed opportunities or whatever, I continued to build and make stuff yeah. on my own. You and know? exist. And, yeah, yeah, just exist. Yeah. And always having, I will say, as a safety or as a thing, there was always something about knowing that I could still and would still be getting up on stage, writing shows, improvising shows at UCB was like, always made me feel like that part was always going you yeah. know like it i never was reduced to nothing you know i i always still had that avenue which i found and still find very rewarding you mm-hmm. know and very compelling like i still love doing shows and love that i can still do shows um and so if my tv script doesn't get produced that's a super bummer it, it's a, a lost year in a lot of ways but even but almost always I look back on those things and it brought either somebody into my life who then later hired me to work on something else or I still work with in some other capacity. I don't know. There's, I think there's, I don't look back with too much kind of like regrets or bad feelings about any of it, right. if that makes sense. I wish I had like a clip package of all your failures just so I could run it right now. Oh my God. Not you, could, you oh, mean not this? Oh, know? what about yeah? Oh my yeah, god, yeah. it would be so long. All of the <laughs> all, all of the pilots that I wrote that didn't get produced, all of the pilots I wrote that did get produced that didn't get picked up the series. Yeah, I yeah. mean, come on, it's like you know, it's it's also footage from like bad relationships and things. Oh, like, okay, you, yeah, where you hurt people. Wait, feelings. is this the part? Is this the part where you just play clips from ex girlfriends who are like, yes, exactly. what a piece of shit. <laughs> Now that's a podcast. <laughs> Submarining somebody with their exes. Mm. Oh, I got to cut that out. Of here wait, so why no are you making a that. note? <laughs> Submarining exes. And I'm dad, you know, later that I'll just think like, I want to do a show about submarines. What? Yeah. Why did I do? What is this? 
Well, uh, Jason, thank you so much. What a delight, Andy. It's been wonderful. Yes, uh, you are... um, you are one of the, you know, now one of the cavalcade of of Greeks I've had on the show. Oh, nice. You've got your Galifianakis, yeah. your Palamedes. Okay. Two, two Sideri, as they're Great. called. Yeah, yeah. Great. And you. And me. Great. That's a lot I of I mean, Greeks. You're, the only people you're missing, I believe, are Dimitri Martin and um, Nia Vardalos. Oh, all right. Uh, I got to get people booking them right away. <laughs> right away. <laughs> Kelly Savalas is dead, so I can't. Uh, I mean, yeah, and yeah. you can interview half of Tina Fey and half of Jen Aniston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're right. You can do you can do mini episodes with each of them. <laughs> well, Jason Manzukas, thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you, Andy Richter. I appreciate it. I look forward to you leaving your house and uh, actually oh. being able to see you out in the world. What a delight. It's always a delight to run into you in the world. So I, I look forward to the next time it can happen. Me too. And uh, and you out there, you come back next week and listen to uh, more of the three questions. Goodbye. I've got a big, big love for you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco and Earwolf production. It is produced by Lane Gerbig, engineered by Marina Pice, and talent produced by Galitza Hayek. The associate producer is Jen Samples, supervising producer Aaron Blayert, and executive producers Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Make sure to rate and review the three questions with Andy Richter on Apple Podcasts. Can't you tell my love's a growing? This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.